Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, this is Bill Peacock, and welcome to episode 51 of the Liberty Cafe. You know, the, the tagline that I put on the Liberty Cafe was where oppression is on the menu. And sometimes I just like to stop and tell people what that means because maybe it's not obvious to everybody. But, you know, we live in a world where oppression is well, it's part of the culture, right? It's what people do because we live in a fallen world and oppression has been there ever since Adam and Eve took that first bite from the apple. They became oppressed. People want to oppress everybody else. And But unfortunately, well, fortunately, first of all, there is liberty in the world because of Jesus Christ. And there is a path out of oppression into liberty through Christ. But most people don't see very well the dividing line sometimes between oppression and liberty in in the world. And politicians come to Austin, they come to Washington, D.C., and they do all this stuff, and they look like they're doing all fine and dandy. But sometimes what they're really doing is oppressing us. So what one of the things we try and do in the Liberty Cafe is find that dividing line between oppression and liberty and help point out to you, our listeners, where that line is because you're not going to hear it from the folks up in in Austin, Texas, which is where we focus a lot on. So anyway, that's why we say oppression is on the menu here at the Liberty Cafe. Well, again, thank you for being here with us. And also thanks to our sponsor, Texas Scorecard. He's been gracious to uh, bringing us to you for over the last year, I think, or so about. We're on episode 51 today, as I mentioned. We've actually been doing it for longer than a year because I didn't quite get on it every week, but thanks thanks for Texas Scorecard for sponsoring us. And speaking of Texas Scorecard, we have the publisher and CEO and grand poobah of Texas Scorecard with us today, Michael Quinn Sullivan. You didn't turn enough people off last week, so you've gotten me back. You're, you're trying to take it down to zero, aren't you? Something like yeah, that, yeah. exactly. So uh, as everyone knows, Michael's uh, – well, not everyone, but a lot of people know. Michael is uh, the publisher here and, and working with uh, their, their board chairman, Tim Dunn, and others to bring liberty uh, – the fight liberty to Texas and particularly to our capital in Austin, but not just the capital. One of the great things I think that Texas Scorecard has done is take the fight down to the local level where the fight really needs to be done, not, not just to fight liberty – for liberty down there, which is important because if you've seen your local city councils and and county courthouses, county judges, commissioners, it's not really necessarily the best group of folks sometimes. But to develop people who are fighting at the local level who will start taking some of those positions and fight as elected officials and then bring that fight back up to Austin. Uh, it, it's a – the fight for liberty is – it's – everywhere. And if we don't engage it everywhere, we're not doing it. So Texas Scorecard's doing a great job with that, Michael. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, what is, is, is really so important, Bill, that, that you know, when we you know the, the, the recognition that in a, in a fallen world, uh, there are lots and lots of opportunities 
uh, to fall under tyranny. Um, and that all of us um, in, our, in our fallen sinful state, we some ways want liberty. I mean, we, we don't want liberty. We want tyranny. And, and, and you see that in Scripture. You see that when, you know, you know, here the people of God have just seen the mightiest army in, in their knowledge of the world, you know, uh, decimated by the, you know, by the Red Sea crashing down on them. They're following a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. They're getting fed in the desert without any other you know, food source. And they start grumbling because, oh, I'm tired of walking. I don't want to go any further. (laughs) It was so much better under the Pharaoh. Can we go back? You know, all those kind of, you know, we, you know, there's something in us that yearns, you know, for, uh, for the tyrant that yearns for the, for the comfort of the, of the oppressor. And that, you know, so it, it, you know, sometimes when we start beating our head against the wall of the issues of the day, I think it's important for us to remember um, the, the liberty that we are offered through Christ, the liberty um, that we are, uh, that, that God so graciously continues to offer us, even as we you know, try to shackle, you know, shackle ourselves to some tyrant, God is there saying, no, 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 let's don't put the shackles on <laughs> Let's take this off. Come on back over here. You know that that graciousness um, uh, is is something that that should encourage us in the fight. Yeah, I was listening to Gary Demar with American Vision mm-hmm, talk mm-hmm. the other day, and he was he was talking about this the same concept about just the people's struggle with with desiring liberty rather than just sinking down into oppression because it's somehow more comfortable or secure. He was talking about yeah, the concept right, of security, right. and, and he was talking about – he was going back over to, to Germany and looking at what had happened in Germany. And the first thing he pointed out was that you, know, you, you start using these examples or comparisons between like America and like Nazi Germany, and he said everybody beats you up for that because, oh, that could never happen in our country. But the Germans never thought what happened in their country – could have happened there in, right. until it did, and and he he said that you know if you go into Mein Kampf written by Hitler, part of what Hitler did was he went back and studied what Otto von Bismarck did, who was the I guess prime minister mm-hmm. under mm-hmm. Kaiser Wilhelm back after Germany had shortly become a country back in the late 1800s, and he brought socialism into there. He, he passed the first real social security kind of thing, mandatory retirement pay. It was a private sector funded thing. It wasn't the government funded, but it was mandatory insurance and the the people and the employer had to pay for it. Sounds kind of familiar. And the world had not seen anything like that, but he did that because he wanted the people to trust the government for their welfare. And the more he could get them to trust the government, not just trust, but look to the government for the welfare, the more he liberty he could take away from them right. and have government look like he wanted it to and have the power he wanted it to. And then Hitler took that and moved it forward, and we, we saw what happened from there. So, I mean, that's the, kind of the stakes we're really talking about is, I mean— you, you, you are only heading towards liberty or, ter- or towards tyranny. There, there is no middle ground. There is no – there's no option C. There's no A and a half or B and you – know, I mean the, it's A or B. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a binary choice. There's nothing else. You're either descending 
into tyranny or you're going up into liberty, one or the other. It's always one or the other. And, you know, and, and, and to close your eyes and to cover your ears and say, oh, I'm just going to stay where I am. That's also not realistic because you're also always moving towards one or the other. There is no station keeping. Everything is moving. And, that, uh, yeah, and, and when we close our eyes and when we cover up our ears and don't participate and we don't engage, we are sliding into tyranny. You're, you, every time we're sliding into tyranny. And that's what happened to the Germans. You, know, you, know, you saw that. Um, and then you can see that in England. You can see that. You know, you know, around, that's, the, that's the nature of a fallen world. And that for us to uh, to think that, oh, I'm just not going to take it, you know, uh, great uh, Pericles, um, you know, just because you don't take an interest in government doesn't mean government won't take an interest in you, you know. And I think that's the uh, the challenge for all of us is to remember that, you know, we, that there is no stopping. There is no just sitting down and resting. We have, we have to keep fighting every day. And that's true, including in the great state of Texas. It's especially true in the great state of Texas, um, because in the, you know, I, I I hear this. I travel around the state a lot. Used to travel around the country a lot back when we were allowed to do such things. Um, <laughs> and the, you know, I constantly would hear people now. You know, some of it out of state is you know kind of our, you know, Texas. You know, we have a great marketing department in Texas. We do a great job marketing Texas. Sometimes I would really like. I mean, I, I would love to live in the Texas that we market out of Texas, right? Um, but yet, even even that marketing is true. Um, that you really don't have many other places in the country now to go to. You know the old, the old line of you know um, if you can't go go to the United States, where where else is in the world to go? And at this point, it it really is Texas for all the flaws. Texas is right now in the you know early twenty twenties. Um, it, it is the last hope, both in the United States and in the world. And so our challenge in Texas is is more pronounced than ever because either um, we just sit, settle back on our haunches and believe our PR and we slide down into the pit of tyranny or we fight and, and, and because we're that last hope for a lot of people, not, not just in the United States but around the world, um, we have an obligation to keep, you know, to keep liberty, not, not just a flicker going but a, you know, a full-on fireplace that's heating up the, heating up the, the room. Um, you know, I, when I travel the world, I, you know, when, you know, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from the United States. Where are you from? Texas. Oh, Texas. You know, it, it so annoys friends from other states uh, who I've traveled with who will, you know, they'll say they're from Kansas or Idaho or some, you know, stupid square state you've never heard of, you know. Um, and, and they look at them now, saying from Texas, and, oh, they want to talk about Dallas and oil wells and, you know, cowboys. horses and cowboys and all these kind of things. You know, they love the idea of Texas, you know. And that's on us as Texans. You know, we, we now have a responsibility to them and right. to their future and to our future. Yeah. Well, we haven't quite gotten to this point yet to talk about it, but this is actually the second part of an episode that we're, we're going through uh, looking at sort of the history of the fight for liberty in Texas, the recent history. We're not going to go way back, but kind of started back around 2001. You came to Texas in 2001. TPPF uh, started looking at the fight in Austin, and then the Texas legislature was com- and the Texas government became completely Republican in 2003, and then uh, Empower Texans sp- – 
you know, started in about 2006. And the idea, I think, as we talked about in the last, last episode, was that doing the inside game is necessary and important, yep. like TPPF does, and bringing real facts because, well, so it's not just facts, it's the analysis of facts because, mm-hmm. you know, any liberal academic worth of salt can take real facts and skew them and turn them and twist them till they don't mean re- – reflect reality at all. So that's one of the things TPPF does that is, they're very good at. But y'all, y'all – you decided and to – that you need to go out there and get the citizens engaged in the process. And as you mentioned in the last episode, the, the reaction in Austin wasn't very favorable generally. Some people liked it, but but most people in the establishment here in Austin didn't really like that very much. And, and you, you kind of – we talked about because they need to follow their leaders who are the people – and they weren't always doing that, or the people weren't always leading one or the other. So I'd like to talk, start off here with that kind of concept of th- talking about fear a little bit. Yeah, you know, everyone fears something, <laughs> you know, and, and fear fear is fear is a horrible thing, but it's also a good thing. You know, we are, um, uh, and fear can either be used for a noble purpose or an ignoble purpose. Um, and the noble use of fears for politicians to fear the citizenry. When, when citizens fear their government, that's that, that's a that that is the the most basic definition of a tyranny that I can think of. When you fear your government, um, on the other hand, when politicians fear the citizenry, you're 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 on a path to liberty at that point. Um, so it's the it's the object of the fear. The thing you fear is the um, is, is, is is the defi- defines whether that fear is any good or not. Um, and in and in politics, most politicians fear um, having their status taken away. They fear not being invited to certain parties. They fear lobbyists not contributing to them. They fear their spouses not getting to go on fancy trips paid for by the lobby. You know, they, they, they fear those kind of things. And, and that's where you know, all, all people are going to fear something. And so one, we have to do a better job of selecting who our representatives are, people who will fear the citizens rather than fear the, the cronies in Austin. Uh, but two, we need to show them that maybe they should fear us more. You know, and I think that you know that, that I know that kind of language bothers people sometimes. You know, um, and I'm certainly not talking in the physically threatening way, um, but I am talking in the in the long term employment way. You know, and that I think that for most politicians, they hear, oh, you know, their their voters gripe about property taxes or complain about the schools teaching transgenderism or you know whatever. I mean, you know, they they hear the, these complaints from the peasants. Um, but until they start losing elections, when elections are threatened, ooh, now they start. My, my grandfather used to joke that the uh, a noose around the neck sharpens the focus of the mind. You know, right. I always love that line. Um, and that I think that for politicians, that they need more examples of being held accountable. You know, in the same way, um, the employee in a store, if he's you know taking ten bucks out of the cash register every day and nobody says anything, well, you know, if you don't have any cash on the cash register, it's your fault for not saying anything. But as soon as you see the first employee fired for taking ten bucks out of the cash register, that problem goes away. You know, that stops. Yeah. And and so as citizens, we have to be uh, pushing that kind of fear 
in, in the politician, to understand their motivation structure and give them the, the, the real ultimate fear, which is, you know, I know you want the lobbyists to like you and to take your wife to a fancy trip and, to, you know, whatever, you know, have, have, have a title. I'll take all that away by voting you out of office. You'll have right. none of it. And that's the kind of fear we need to be driving in them. So when, when you went over to Texas, well, Empower Texans at the time and started that, one of the first tools you started to use, implement in that fight was the scorecard, right? Yeah. Fiscal Responsibility Index, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fiscal Responsibility Index, where you just you just looked at the votes and and scored them, but but it wasn't just a cold thing after the fact. You looked at bills as they were going through the process and and let people know that you know, if you vote this way, this is a liberty-loving vote. If you vote this way, it's you, you didn't put it necessarily like this, but this is an oppression-loving mm-hmm. vote. And so they had a choice going in, and and that that seemed to be pretty effective, particularly up front. And there are a lot of people because these people are scared. They all of a sudden they had something to be scared about other than you know the niceties of Austin, Texas. It was keeping the job that allowed them to get those niceties, and they started they started reacting to that. One of my favorite uh, early examples was there was a fellow long-standing member of the Texas House um, who we you know. I, I, part of what we would do with the fiscal responsibility, because we didn't just tell legislators. In fact, telling the legislators was an afterthought. We we you know, put on our email list, text list. We you know anyone you know upon our website. Hey, here's this vote coming up. This is how we're going to rate it. Um, and and then after people took the vote, we would talk about in their districts how they voted on that issue and on the index in general. And this particular legislator from up at the Metroplex, um, uh, he um, uh, decided not to run for re-election and he cited specifically he was tired of us talking about his record. Not lying. We weren't making it up. It was his voter. He didn't like people talking about it. He didn't like having to answer questions. He didn't like constituents calling him and saying, I saw that you voted this way. And it because it you know, there was a there was a big delta between what he said and what he did. You know, at home he was the second coming of Ronald Reagan and Barry Goldwater. Right. Um, in Austin, he looked more like you know Tip O'Neill and or not even as good as Tip O'Neill. He looked like you know Walter Mondale and Jimmy Carter or you know, whatever you you know Barack Obama, Joe Biden, whatever. Right. Um, you know. Uh, you know. So he. And he thrived on that. And suddenly people talking about his record, oh, he didn't want to mess with that anymore. He was, just, he was done. Didn't want to mess with that anymore. And I think that that's the, um, the, the power of facts, the power of facts in context, the power of facts in context demonstrating are you going down to tyranny or up to liberty? Um, uh, because, you know, when, when you give people the facts and give them something that they can react to and react on and react with, um, that, that's what citizens need to be you know, in the same way. You know, you can't just come to me and say, Michael, fire, fire that that employee of yours. Well, I'm not going to listen. But oh, Michael, that employee of yours did, you know, was stealing money out of the cash register and was yelling at a customer. Well, well, now, wait a second. Now, that, that's now those are actionable things. Right? right. And I think that very often um, what we saw in the past in Texas would be a someone would do a a scorecard created after the fact that was often a, you know, who do I like and who do I dislike? And, you know, the I know some people to, at this point today probably don't don't believe this. Most, but I mean, there were a lot of folks who got F's 
on the fiscal responsibility decks, people who I was friends with, people I liked, people that I had a personal relationship, but they didn't vote right, you know. And, oh, the wailing in Nashville. I thought we were friends. Well, <laughs> we are friends. You just didn't vote right, <laughs> you know. Um, but in politics, friend, friendship is a one-way street for politicians. And that's why we, we you know, a big lesson for me was you can't be friends with these people. They are your employee. And it's, not, it's nice if you can be friendly with your employees, right? Right. Um, but when it comes to politics, they're our servants. And we need to – we first as citizens need to remember that. We can't let them make it personal. We have to keep it professional. And the only thing that matters is are we going down to tyranny or up to liberty? Well, it seems like to me that about this time, talking about 2007, 2008, there developed this group of Republicans – who stopped the wailing and gnashing of teeth. They, they kind of stopped caring, and, and they basically said, to hell with the scorecard and this. We're just going to do what we want to do, and we don't care about this stuff anymore, right? And, and we're, we're not going to – we're going to ignore all these things, and we're just going to do what we want to do, which is basically grow government, mm-hmm. right? And, and, it, and this happened within the Republican Party, and that led – in that time frame to the election of probably the the most liberal or maybe the second most liberal speaker in the history of the Texas House of Representatives, even though he's elected by Republicans in, in 2009. Uh, not so much um, names. Names are fine. We can, you know, Joe Strauss is the, the speaker I'm talking about, and a lot of, and but there was this group of about ten. Republicans who said, to hell with you people, we're going to vote with the Democrats and elect this guy. And they did the same thing on the floor when it came to your scorecards and everything else. What, what, what brought this about? And, and how, how do we deal with those kinds of people? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I think it's a positive thing when someone puts on their actual uniform. You know that um, you know you had those those ten guys who all you know, they they had been walking around in sheep's clothing and now they said hey look I'm actually on the wolf's team I, I, I'm actually on the other team and that was very helpful and a couple of them didn't run for re-election a couple got defeated a couple more didn't run they got defeated so the, then they were all gone <laughs> you know and I think that you know and and so now I think there's now been a a shift you know a counter shift of oh wait. We have to be really cautious about revealing ourselves. Um, but it's a um, – there should be a, an incentive. There should be a push from the citizens to not – you know, uh, don't, don't let them lie to you. you know, let them be honest. It's important for them to be honest. We, the only way our system of government works is if we're all honest with each other. It doesn't work if we dance around issues and, well, you know – my state senator really doesn't like to talk about X, so let's all be nice boys and girls and not talk about X in front of the state senator. No, he works for us. That's like saying, well, you know, my accountant really doesn't like to talk about the balances in the, uh, in the, in the corporate accounts. Uh, that's his job, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think that's where we as the citizens have to be, you know, no. I want to talk about it, so you're going to talk. And if you're not going to talk about it, that's a signal you shouldn't be there anymore. Um, and, and when you watch that with, uh, with, Joe, with the Joe Strauss situation, um, that, that was a very good thing. I know, I know for a lot of folks it didn't feel like a good thing, uh, but it's very analogous to the dentist telling you, hey, you've got a cavity. 
Um, yeah, no one likes to hear that news, but it's better to hear it than to have your jaw rot off. You know? And I think that um, being able to identify the problem, to name the problem, to see what the problem is, that's a very useful thing. Um, okay. Even if you don't actually win in the short term, we all win in the long term. So, so all that happened in 2009 in Texas legislature uh, off the 2008 election. So that was the same year, of course, that the, the Tea Party was born. Mm-hmm. But that, that coincided with the November elections um, and, and you know, Congress and things like that. And so you know, Texas was a little bit late in, in, in getting that. We didn't see that kind of stuff. But the, the populist, if you will, populist Tea Party – free market, however you want to put it all together, it started showing up in Texas in, over the next few years, right? We had 2012, I think it was, Ted Cruz got elected, beat, right. beat an incumbent. Started, started with 2% name ID, and a year later, he's a state senator. I mean, absolutely U.S. Senator. Uh, yeah. U.S. senator, absolutely insane. Those kind of yeah. things aren't supposed to happen. Yeah, exactly. And then then Dan Patrick uh, beats the same guy <laughs> that, that Ted Cruz beat. Uh, <laughs> really bad year for David Dewhurst. Yeah, 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 yeah. And except... In this case, Dewhurst was the incumbent in the office, and he got taken out by Dan Patrick. And then, then we saw Donald Trump mm-hmm. come come mm-hmm. in and on that same populist wave. And so we we saw those on those elections, uh, on the kind of those in those elections, those kind of things. But but let's look back at the grassroots in Texas that time. Where what was happening to the grassroots in Texas during that time? Yeah, getting far more organized. Um, you know, it's it, it's reminiscent in my mind of of the old committees of correspondence that Sam Adams uh, started in the colonies uh, leading up to the Revolutionary War, where you know every single patriot and every single colony thought they were all alone. And what Sam Adams did was he joined them together by you know, they would write letters, copy letters, pass them around, that kind of thing. So they learned they weren't alone. And, and that is so powerful and so important to understand you're not alone. You're not the only one who is frustrated by what the crown is doing. You know? And um, in the Tea Party movement of the, um, of the 2010s uh, accomplished that same task. Um, it, it let people know you're not crazy. You're not alone. You're not the only one who sees Republicans acting like Democrats when they get elected. You're not the only one who sees, you know, Democrats talking the talk of, of, of American liberty while imposing, you know, old Soviet-style communism. You're not the only one. And it became okay to say that to, to each other. Um, and that's critical. You, know, you need that because, again, as a self-governing republic, if we're a self-governing people, it requires that all of us as the, as the, as the, the joint master, the, the guardians of, the, of this republic, it requires us to have an honest conversation. In the same way mom and dads, have to have real good conversations about the kids. <laughs> you know, that's the only way you're able to be good parents together is mm-hmm. having good communication. Uh, the same thing's true in our republic, that the citizens have to be talking and being willing to – and then have those avenues and willingness uh, to share what they're seeing and learning and understanding together. And the Tea Party movement provided that. Now, you know, the Tea Party movement was you – know, you look around, there really isn't, isn't a Tea Party movement. But that's because the Tea Party movement took over. You know, you have, you know, uh, you've now had a couple of Republican Party chairmen who came, who literally came out of the Tea, who had not been involved in politics before, who became chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, county chairs, uh, members of the Texas legislature. You know, go through the line. 
Um, and then you see some follow-on organizations, Grassroots America, True Texas Project, just to, just to name two, um, uh, big, vibrant organizations today that their roots trace to that. And that's um, you know, been, yeah. been an amazing – so that – uh, so that uh, grassroots engagement didn't stop. It just took on a, a, a more focused professional sense, going from, you know, waving banners at a, you know, at a rally in front of a city hall to, you know, running the you know, largest political organization, second largest political organization in the world. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty, pretty remarkable yeah. stuff. So you're right. Uh, we, we do have all these great organizations that have, have sprung up out of the Tea Party movement and much more organized, much more engaged, much more involved, bringing much more uh, focus on the things that are going on here in Austin and at local governments. Yeah, you know, we, we had the 2018 elections and the 2020 elections, and so, some of those were kind of disappointed for conservatives here mm -hmm. in Texas in particular about, you know, not moving the ball forward. And and so I, I recently had to introduce myself to some folks I, I, I teach and I had to introduce myself to some parents and tell them about my background and said, well, I, I, I've, been, I've spent the last 30 years basically trying to bring my understanding of free market economics and merge those with with my understanding of, of what the Bible tells us about policy and public policy and, and those types of things and merge those together to improve the public policy here in Texas. And then I stopped for a second, I thought, and I said, well, if you look at the world around you, you might be wondering what I've really been doing for the last 30 <laughs> years, you know, what, what I've actually accomplished. And, and, and so, so let me put you on the spot a little yeah. bit. So you've been doing this for you know, public policy, you know, for almost that same period of time, you know, either news, uh, the news thing or up in Congress or here, you know, in Texas for 20 plus years as well on, on this. And um, we look around us and the, it's still kind of a mess around here. I mean, mm -hmm. w what have we accomplished as, I'll say we, because we're all working in this together. What, what have we accomplished as conservatives, as Christians, as supporters of liberty, can can we look at things and say we've done so much good when we look at the world around us and it seems like it's fallen apart? Absolutely we can look around and say look at the good that's been accomplished. And yes, we can look around and, 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 and the two things are not mutually exclusive. Yes, you know, we look around and see a world in shambles. And yes, we can look around and say look at the amazing impact that's been made over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, you know, and, and, and again, just, just looking in Texas for a second, yes. Um, you had the, you know, shambles 2020 um, election, and yet, you know, coming out of 2020, uh, coming to the 2021 legislative session, um, you ended up with legislation um, that um, effectively bans abortions after six weeks. Okay, now you're saving hundreds deal. of lives, and, and not a single. Well, there were a couple of church campaign on this, but none of the pretty people, none of the of the names campaigned on that. They felt forced to do it. They felt forced by the by the grassroots to deliver on the 20 year promise of oh, we'll be pro life. Texas, you know, the big pro life state, ranked at 25 nationally, and at the beginning of 2021. Um, they had they had to deliver because the grassroots weren't going to take it anymore. The citizens weren't going to take it anymore. And so, what did we get? 
we got the most aggressive pro-life bill you could imagine. You know, we've we've effectively ended abortion after six weeks. It's, it's still not not nearly enough in my mind, but wow, talking about shifting the world, um, mm-hmm. and you can go through so many issues like that where um, where where either. We have we have won in, we've won. I, I'm reminded, you know, when uh, when Joshua and the people of God cross over, um, uh, cross the Jordan, come into the Promised Land, and they're they're on the plains of Jericho. You know, what did God come to do? Well, get get these rocks and build the seven years. Remember where you came from, um, and we don't do that nearly enough, where we remember. You know, where we came from. And I think that there are, and you can go through issue after issue after issue and see the progress, even if it's not success. So, for example, property taxes, something that I'm you know, currently doing a lot of thinking around and I'll work around. I think, oh my gosh, property taxes have never been higher. I mean, literally, never higher. Texas has the fourth, high, has the fourth highest property tax burden in the nation. It's getting worse. Uh, you don't own your home for most people in Texas now. You're uh, but d- don't you know the legislature just saw that? They're going to give us $200 in uh, property yeah, yeah, tax yeah. relief? Yeah, but but they feel the urge to do something now. Yeah, there, there's a push to do you – know, you know, and, and I think that those are the kind of things that we have to have to recognize. They, they weren't going to do something before. They, they had an entire legislative session where they didn't do a darn thing. They didn't even right. follow it to even do you know, 200 bucks or whatever, right? Um, so there, there's now a, um, a push um, to, to, to do something. Ah, you know, at this point – we're only haggling over details. You know, we've gone from ignoring the citizens to haggling over the details of, of, of how soon you will deliver what the citizens want. Um, and that's a win. And yes, the world's in shambles, Bill, um, but the world's always going to be in shambles. You know, I mean, we're in a fallen world. Until, until Christ returns, the world's in shambles. Um, our job is to, is, to, um, uh, is to improve the shambles around us. You know, Satan wants to tear things down. We build things up. We can either sit there and say, well, you know, he's going to tear it down anyway, so he shouldn't do anything. No, our response should be, Satan can tear down all he wants. I'm going to keep building because I'm not called to be successful. You're not called to be successful. People listening to us are not called to be successful. Nowhere in Scripture does God say that Michael Quinn Sullivan and William Peacock are called to be successful. No. Jesus was successful. You and I are called to be faithful. And that is our calling, whether that's in our faith, in our families, or in government. We're just called to be faithful. And we have to trust that what Satan's pulling down, God is building up things that are even bigger and better. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, the the thing is, Christ was successful. This is you know, you you look at Scripture. You always it's the past, present, and future. Christ was successful. He is being successful, and he's going to mm-hmm. be successful. Yep. And, and one of the things he's been successful at, or going to be successful at, and will be successful at, is making all things new. He and, tells us yep. that. He's making yep. all things new, and he's making society, he's making the world new. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we as Christians and those who God pulls into that sphere, and if if you go back from maybe a few thousand you know, people in Jerusalem or a few hundred in the upper mm-hmm. room back in the old days to you know, the, the, the official number in the world is like 2.4 billion or something Christians. Maybe they're not all Christians, but I mean... There's so many more Christians in this world today, and, and that's got to – as more and more people come to Christ, the world is going to look different That's right. right as we move forward. I, I, I'm reminded of um, a, a sermon series years ago where the pastor talked about, you know, when you look at Paul's – what we know to be Paul's earliest writings, he said, oh, I'm a sinner. 
you look at the later writings and Paul described himself as the chief sinner. Well, he got older. He knew more. He was, you know, well, it's because, you know, the, the closer you get to the light, the longer your shadow is, you know. And that I think that, you know, for us, we have the luxury today, Bill, of seeing the shambles of the world around us. But, you know, go back to the 1950s. Oh, you know, the glorious 1950s. Yeah, the glorious 1950s when, you know, a couple of my best friends from Texas A&M would not have been allowed into the school. Let's go back to those days. Let's go back to those days when, you know, when children were being hooked up to ventilators because of polio. Let's go to, you know, all the, you know, the Soviet Union. Yeah, the Soviet or? Union was sitting there. You know, all these you know, all these things. So, you know, we've made progress, and it's only because of the progress that we made that we can look back and see, oh my gosh, look at the trouble we've got back there. You know, and I think yeah. that that's a. Um, it, but it's so easy when you're in the fight um, to lose sight of this of the success you of the ground you've gained, and which is not to say, okay, well, not sit down. No, because there's a lot more fight ahead. Yeah, and it reminds me of you know Elijah. You know, he, he prophet, uh, and he had this great victory over um, the prophets of Baal. Right? Mm-hmm. He, you know, he he called down this fire and and won all these things, and then he even got the people on his side, and they captured the prophets, and he slew the prophets, and had this great victory. And then he gets gets a letter from Jezebel, and he runs off into hiding. Right? right. And, and that's and. But God told him there was a remnant out there that you're not alone. There's 7,000. And I think the work that Texas Scorecard and True Texas and Right to Life and and all those groups out there that are doing in Grassroots America are bringing together – don't want to go too far with this analogy, but bringing together that remnant of of people who are willing to fight for liberty here in Texas and we're not alone. And it's it's that we really have to not rest on the fight – before us or, or be fearful of the fights in front of us, but but go forward knowing that we're not alone in this world, in this fight. That's right. And, and again, I, I, I look back at that at that Tea Party movement, our friend Mark Meckler, who's so involved in it, who's now a Texan, um, and others who, you know, they had the, had the requisite, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, strength of just wanted to talk to other people to be reaffirmed. I think that's where um, that's where each of us have to be. That that sense of building community, of living community. We as individuals were created to be in community, and that I think the worst thing you can, we can do in politics, the worst thing we can do in life, is to wall ourselves off. We have to constantly be about seeking community, and that's where we find strength as a self-governing people. Well, th- thank you very much, Michael, for being with us on these, these past two episodes. It's been great to kind of talk to you and, and get this optimistic look going forward. It's really hard to do sometimes in this, in this fallen world, in this messy world we, we live in. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. And thank you also for being with us and finishing up with us here on episode uh, 51 of the Liberty Cafe. And thanks once again to our sponsor, Texas Scorecard. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe by Texas Scorecard. You can find more shows and great content at texasscorecard.com. Please consider leaving a review or rating the show on whatever podcasting platform.